case you hadn't already noticed, I'm feeling very nervous. Um, usually when I do this sort of thing, the people who are watching are under the age of 11 and a lot cuter than you lot, but we're going to give it a go anyway, so please be nice. <laughs> um, today we're going to continue our study um, of the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible with me or are using your phone for your Bible, could you turn with me to Philippians 3 and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 16. There we go. Um, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's just uh, pray before we continue. Father God, I pray that you will be present here with us today that you will speak to us through the verses that we'll be studying and that we'll have open hearts to hear from you. Amen. Amen. So last week, Steve tackled some rather meaty stuff, um, but he finished with Paul's words in Philippians 3, verse 10 to 11, um, where we hear of Paul's primary ambition. Um, it says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Become like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul's ambition was to know Christ intimately, to experience Christ's resurrection power, to partner with Christ in his suffering and to know his destination. This is something that is quite challenging. Um, and to Paul's audience in Philippi, it may have seemed like an ideal, but also quite an impractical thing to achieve. And so Paul immediately jumps in in verse 12, saying that he is aware that he is not there yet. It says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And so Paul is saying that he has not already achieved his ambition of knowing Christ in the way that he describes in verse 10 and 11. Um, but Paul knows that he's not there yet, but is going on to give some advice on how we might go about achieving that goal. And that's where we're going to pick up today. The next part of verse 12 says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. I love how the message puts it. It says, I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who so wondrously reached out for me. The first thing that is really striking in this verse is that God took hold of Paul. Before knowing God, Paul's life looked very different. He intensely persecuted followers of Jesus. In Galatians 1 verse 13, Paul speaks of himself saying, For you have heard of my previous life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. And then we read on in Acts 9 of Paul's miraculous conversion. 
On the road to Damascus, he was blinded by a light and he heard God's voice telling him to go to the city. He was blind for three days and he didn't eat or drink anything. Um, And we read that God called a man called Ananias in a vision, telling him to go and find Paul and pray for him. Ananias was not so keen on this idea, which I can totally understand. And he says to God, I've heard many reports of this man and all the harm that he has done to your people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to to arrest all who call on your name. But God says to Ananias in Acts 9 verse 15, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And so Ananias went and he prayed for Paul and Paul's whole life was changed. Long before Paul took hold of God's plan for his life, God had taken hold of Paul. The Bible is full of examples of people that God took hold of long before they even acknowledged him. Abraham was quite happy in his Mesopotamian river valley, living in a pagan culture. But God called him and sent him on his way to Palestine. Moses was chosen by God when he was just a baby. God was going to free his people from Egypt and use this baby to do it. And so God protected Moses. He gave him the best education and training that there was. And then God used him to do many miracles through him. God sent Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel. Um, And God told him that one of the sons of a man called Jesse was going to be that king. And so all of Jesse's sons, except for David, were brought before Samuel. But none of them were the one that God had chosen. Eventually, Samuel said, have you got any other sons? And Jesse, at that point, remembered, oh yeah, there's David, but he's the youngest and he's just a shepherd boy and he's probably not very good king material. And, and, Jesse, and Samuel said, well, bring him over anyway. And as soon as Samuel saw David, God spoke to him and said, this is the one. While David was out protecting his sheep, God had a plan for him. God took hold of John the Baptist before he was even born. While he was still in his mother's womb, he leapt when Mary, pregnant with with Jesus, arrived. Jesus called his disciples while they were still fishermen and tax collectors. While Paul was persecuting Christians, God had a plan for him. And God does the same for us. Often in Christian circles, we use the phrase, God has a plan for your life. And sometimes this phrase just rolls off the tongue without us really thinking about its implications. But do you really know that God has a plan for your life? You are not here by chance, but because God has taken hold of you and because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. In Kidzone a few months ago, we were learning all about truth. I'm a children's pastor, so we have to have a balloon. Um, And in Kids Zone, what we did was we had a load of balloons and on the outside of them we had different phrases. And on one, we had, I am here by chance, God doesn't have a plan for me. And I asked the children what they thought about that phrase, whether they thought it was true or not. And the kids in Green Group were horrified at the idea that God didn't have a plan for their life. No, of course he has a plan for our lives, they said. He made us, he loves us, of course he does. 
And then we pop the balloon. <laughs> Sorry. If you were sleeping, you're awake now. <laughs> um, and inside, we had the verse from Jeremiah 1, verse 47. And it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you. The kids in Green Group were so certain of this truth, and it made me so happy to see that they felt that way. But sometimes as adults, and I know that I'm guilty of this too, we can get caught up in this illusion that our life isn't anything of value. But this is not true. Psalm 139 verse 15 says, You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculptured from nothing into something. You are custom made by God. Every hair on your head, every bone in your body, the colour of your skin, your skills, your abilities, your gifts, your unique personality, all of it comes from God because he made you for a reason. We need to acknowledge that we are not here by chance, but because God has a purpose for our lives. And the only way to know that purpose is to draw close to him. Paul knew that God had taken hold of him. And this is what drove Paul to press on and take hold of God's purpose for his life. He took hold of the goal. He wasn't driven by his own understandings or desires, but a deep understanding that God had a plan for his life. In the passage we are looking at today, the language used by Paul is the same language that was used in Greek to describe the Olympic Games and more specifically, a race. Now, athletic is not a word that has ever been used to describe me. I think because I was always tall and slim, people assumed that I would be really good at sports, but this was not the case. Jason was always the athletic one of the two of us, and I was the one with the artistic flair, I guess. <laughs> the idea of a race is that you have a goal, an aim, a start and a finish, a thing that you want to achieve. And for Paul, his goal was to know God more and take hold of that for which Christ took hold of him. Paul's analogy of, this, of a race is very interesting to me. As some of you may know, I grew up in South Africa and my primary school years were spent at Isotcha Primary School. There's me in my school uniform. <laughs> every, year, <laughs> every year we had our school sports day and this day was one that the school prepared for all year round. It was a really big deal. Um, and on sports day, all the best athletes from within the school would compete to win points from their team, for their team. Um, we had three teams in the school, Leopard, Panther, and then my team, Jaguar. <laughs> in the preparations for sports day, all the kids of all ages would prepare and train and practice for their sport, whether it was running, swimming, javelin, shot put, high jump, long jump. We had all sorts of sports that we did on sports day. We would also have team mascots, which basically meant that the oldest kids in the school would dress up one of the youngest kids in the school and use them as a mascot. Jason was the school mascot when we, he was in reception. <laughs> 
We'd also have cheer practice, where the whole team would meet and practice cheers for their team at lunchtime. Um, and on sports day, it was just a really brilliant, fun day. Now, I was not what you would describe as athletic. And so the cheering and festivities of sports day were really exciting to me. Um, but sports was not my forte. Um, this was not for lack of trying, though. My poor teacher probably despaired at trying to find the one sport that I was good enough at that I could compete in the annual sports day. And then one year, I was picked for the Jaguar cross-country running team. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> but I felt so privileged to be chosen to represent my team in this way. I can remember that sense of pride and honour that I had been picked. And this is only a taster of how we should feel to be picked by God and that God has a plan for us. My goal on sports day was to reach the finish line, preferably but unlikely in first place. For Paul, running the race is about striving towards fulfilling the purpose for which Christ took hold of him. For some of you, you may feel confident that God has a plan for your life. For others, you may not be too sure of this. Maybe for some of you, you didn't even realise that God had a plan for your life. But God calls all of us. God's call for us can be general and specific, but it is always pers personal. So there is a general call of God on all who choose to follow him. We are called to be God's kingdom people, to be salt and light, to make a difference in the world that we live in, to show love and to just do all of that in God's name. And this was true of Paul. He strived to serve God in all things. But Paul also had a specific call. For Paul, his specific call was to proclaim God's name to the Gentiles and their king and their kings and to the people of Israel. You may feel or be aware of a specific call that God has placed on your life. And um, for me, I feel that God has called me into children's ministry. Nothing excites me more than sharing Jesus with children. That moment where something clicks and they just realize how much God really loves them, it just excites me beyond understanding. For others, it may be youth work or working with those who are poor and homeless, or the elderly, or maybe God has called you to be an encourager, to serve God in a really practical way, to pray for people, or whatever it may look like for you. When trying to determine what it is that God wants you to do, I found the following three questions really helpful for me. The first question, what is in your heart? Um, if you were to stop and think about it, what do I want God to do in my community? What is your heart's desire? What is it that God has placed on your heart? What is it that stirs something up inside of you and excites you? The second question, what is in your head? What are your, what are your thoughts, your ideas? Have you got any questions? And, and things that you are just working through in your mind that you think, this is how I can make a difference for God. So what's in your heart? What's in your head? And then finally, what is in your hand? What resources do you have? What skills or abilities have you got that you can use to serve God? 
if you know that there is something that you want to do, but you're not too sure what that might be, then please talk to someone. Speak to myself or Dan or Steve or someone else in the leadership team or someone that you trust, and we can figure it out together. Paul was striving towards a goal and the purpose that God had for him. For any athlete, there are tools that are useful in helping him or her to achieve their goal. And in the same way, there are tools that are useful for us as Christians as we try to achieve God's plans for our lives. So we're going to look at some of those things today. So Paul was confident in the goal that Christ had set for him, but he was also very aware that he was not there yet. In verse 13, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Paul is saying, I want to take hold of all that God has planned for me, but I'm also aware that there is room for improvement. Paul was satisfied with Christ, but not with his own attainments. Knowing that I had been picked for the cross-country team did not mean that I was a skilled cross-country runner or that I had finished the race yet. In any race, there needs to be some level of self-evaluation. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where can I improve? By the time the Isotra Primary School Sports Day came around, I was certain that I was ready for it. I had worked hard-ish to prepare for the race, and I was determined to make my team proud. I was, however, very aware of the fact that I was in no way the best cross-country runner. Self-evaluation is so important because it helps us identify areas of improvement, to acknowledge our strengths and to keep check of ourselves. The problem is that often when we evaluate ourselves, we do it by comparing ourselves to other people, and this isn't helpful. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, one of two things can happen. Either we make ourselves worse than we are, or we can make ourselves better than we actually are. I'll unpack that a little bit more. So we can make ourselves worse than we are. We can put ourselves down or think that someone else could do a much better job than we can. We may even say, I could never do what they do. I'm just rubbish compared to them. And Paul warns against this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15 to 18, when he talks about the body of Christ. He says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong in the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Each part is important. And if you never take opportunities because you think someone else can do it better, then you'll be missing out on God's full potential for your life. The second danger is that we can make ourselves better than we are. And we can get to a point where we become self-satisfied, where we look at others and think, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. If we continue reading in 1 Corinthians, it says... The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 
all the parts of the body are needed and no one person is above or better than anyone else. And if we become self-satisfied, then we can easily become complacent. I remember the day that sports day came around. I was ready. Me and the other cross-country runners lined up, waiting in suspense, until eventually the whistle blew. And I ran as fast as my legs could carry me. And I ran, and I ran, and then I jogged. <laughs> and then I think a brisk walk would be a generous description of what I was doing. <laughs> I looked ahead, and all the other runners seemed to be getting further and further away from me. I looked behind, and there was no one. <laughs> I was definitely at the back of the line. At that point, I had lots of thoughts going through my head, mainly, why am I doing this? <laughs> I was no good at running. I was definitely nowhere near as everyone else in the team. But self-evaluation is important. But comparing yourself to others is not helpful. We need to acknowledge that we are not there yet, be aware of room for improvement, to avoid becoming complacent, but also to be aware of your skills, your talents, your gifts, and use them to the fullest potential. Paul acknowledged that he was not there yet, and yet he chooses to press on towards the goal. Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. In any race, one of the golden rules is don't look back. It is important that we don't let ourselves be controlled by the past. I don't know what everyone here has been through, what struggles or fears or insecurities may have been present in your life. But what I do know is that focusing on those things will only hold you back. Don't let the things that are in the past overshadow the present. Can you imagine if Paul let his past dictate his future? We spoke earlier of the horrendous things that he had done before encountering Jesus. If he let those things control him, there is no way that he would have been able to make the impact that he did. Paul's past could have held him back, but instead he used it to spur him on. Instead of holding on to the past, Paul became an inspiration to others. The events of his past did not change, but his understanding of them changed. When Paul says, forget the past, he doesn't mean you should fail to remember it. It's not like we have some divine mind blank and all of a sudden we have no recollection of anything that's happened in our past. When the phrase forget is used in scripture, it often means to no longer be influenced by. In Hebrews 10 verse 17, we read that God says, I will forget about their sins and no longer remember their evil deeds. This doesn't mean that con God conveniently experiences bad memory. What God is saying is, I will no longer hold their sins against them. Their sins can no longer affect their standing with me or influence my attitude towards them. Forgetting the past simply means that we break the power of the past by living in the future. So many people feel that their past disables or disqualifies them from serving God. We can't change the past, but we can change its meaning. When I was in grade two, my class presented an Easter assembly for the whole school. Um, and I had one line during this assembly. My line was, the people were waving palm branches. 
I was in the Palm Sunday section of the assembly. I knew the line, I had practiced it over and over and over again. But then on the day, when it came to my turn, this overwhelming fear set in. My mouth couldn't open, I panicked, I froze. In my head, I was saying, the people were waving palm branches, the people were waving palm branches, the people were waving palm branches over and over again, but the words just wouldn't come out of my mouth. And so my teacher ended up reading my line out for me, and then the assembly continued. Seven years ago, when I started as an apprentice at the church, um, myself and Amy were asked by Steve if we would go into a number of primary schools and do school assemblies. And I remember remembering my grade two experience and thinking, no, I can't do that. I remembered what had happened before and all of those fears came back. I felt so scared, although not as scared as I feel standing in front of you lot today. But I made the decision to give it a go. Not let, and not to let that experience hold me back from an opportunity to do something good for God. I had Amy went there with me, so that helped me a little bit. <laughs> and we just went for it. The first few times were quite scary, I won't lie. Um, but as time went on, I grew more and more confident in myself um, and what I was doing. And now I love going into primary schools. I love sharing God's love with the children in our town. If you let the past influence and affect your future, then you'll be missing out on opportunities to allow God to use you. Another way of looking at it is that we can look at the past as the good old days and focus on all that we once had and all that God once did and forget to appreciate what God is doing for us now and what his plans are for, his, for our future. We see in the Old Testament where God frees his people from slavery in Egypt. He provides them with shade by day and light by night and water and manna. But after some time, they start looking back to their lives in Egypt. They remember the cucumbers and leeks and garlics that they once had. And as soon as they began to look back, they forgot to trust on God for his present and future blessings. Of course, we should be thankful for the good things that God has done for us and for the past blessings. But if we focus on those things alone, then we won't move forward. God has new paths to lead us down, new joys and blessings ahead. So don't let your past hold you back or distract you from God's plans and purposes for your life. Instead of being controlled by the past, Paul says he forgets the past and is straining, oh, I missed a slide there, and is straining forward to what is ahead. The verb here literally means stretching as in a race. We read in verse 14, I press on towards the goal. And there is a real sense of perseverance here, an intense endeavour. You don't win races by cheering at the games or watching a movie about races, but by being determined to win. Straining towards what is ahead and pressing on requires perseverance, effort, discipline, concentration. Do you fix your mind on the things that God has for you, or are they temporary passing thoughts in the midst of the busyness of the world that we live in? You can't persevere and press on to what God's will is for your life by sitting back and assuming that someone else will do it. 
And so if we don't bother trying in the first place, the problem is that you end up with a few people doing absolutely everything and being exhausted. But even more than that, you will miss out on a chance to make a difference for God, to grow and to learn and to discover all that God has in store for you. So if you are considering volunteering for one of the ministries within our church, or you have a new ministry on your heart or something that you want to do for God, just go for it. Or if you want to get involved, but you have no idea what that might look like for you, speak to someone and we can work through that together because God wants to use you. So there is the one extreme where we assume that people will do it or that someone else will do it. But the other option is that in trying to persevere, we can get into the mindset of, I must do it all. We become so busy trying to do stuff for God that we forget to stop long enough to let God in. A few years ago in Kids Club, Bev did an object lesson. And as part of that object lesson, she asked the children to think of words to describe different people. So we had words to describe the queen. We had words to describe a member of One Direction. And then she asked the children for words to describe Brenda. <laughs> and, you know, the children gave answers and they were saying things like, she has brown hair, she likes dancing, she's nice. Um, and then one little boy who was a part of our church family at the time said, she's always busy. And I remember those words hitting me really hard. This little boy who saw me every Friday at Kids Club and every Sunday at church and knew me quite well had observed this attitude of busyness in me. And I remember that really challenging me. I was so busy trying to do things for God that I wasn't actually taking time to stop and to be with God. If we are to persevere, to strain towards the goal that is ahead of us, we need to be drawing our strength from somewhere, and that can't be from ourselves. We need to draw our strength from God, and we can't do it alone. John 15 verse 5 says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In persevering and straining towards the goal that God has set for us, we need to remember to take him with us, to lean on him, to, to trust in him as our source of strength, because apart from him, we can do nothing. And finally, it is not enough to run hard and, and finish the race. We also need to obey the rules in order to finish the race well. In the Greek games, there were strict rules. And an infringement of these rules would mean being disqualified. We need to make sure that we are finishing the race well. I love how the message puts those final verses of, um, of that verse in Philippians. It says, So, let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we are on the right track, let's stay on it. The Bible is full of stories of people who began the race with great success, but then failed in the end because they disregarded the rules. 
And it is so sad when we hear of Christian men and women who have made huge impacts in people's lives because of their love of Christ and then right at the end stumbled because they disregarded the rules. They get caught up in some scandal or fraud or adultery or let pride become their God. Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. It is so important that we catch these things in our lives and address them before they trip us up. It's not enough to run the, wet, the race. We also need to finish well. What are the things in your life that are likely to trip you up or cause you to stumble? It is so important to be aware of those things so that we can address them before they trip us up. At the end of Paul's life, he wrote a letter to Timothy. And these are the last words that we hear from Paul in the Bible. And they're found in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. We read, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How do you want to finish the race? When you get to the end of your life and look back, will you be able to say those words? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Some of you may have already guessed that I didn't come first in the Isotcher Primary School cross-country race. <laughs> and you would be correct in thinking that. I will, however, tell you how that story ends. All the cross-country runners had returned to sports day, except for me. And it was taking so long for me to return that they decided to just carry on with sports day without me. Eventually, after a fair amount of time had passed, a very sweaty and out-of-breath girl appeared at the far end of the school field. To finish the race, I still needed to do a lap of the school field and cross the finish line. As I ran the last lap, feeling very tired, a load of my friends and classmates came and met with me on the field, and they ran alongside me, cheering and encouraging me on as I ran towards the finish line. Until eventually, I crossed that line with a smile on my face and a great sense of joy in what I had achieved. I hope that at the end of my life, I will know that I did my best, that I fought the good fight, and finished the race with my head held high, knowing that I kept the faith. The brilliant thing about the race that Paul is talking about in this passage is that everyone who finishes the race wins. There's no first or last place. Everyone who finishes receives the prize, the reward of eternal life with Jesus. If you take anything away from today, I want you to know that you are not a mistake. Your life is not an accident. You are here for a reason. And God's plans and purposes for your life are greater than anything you could ever dream or imagine. And so I want to ask you, will you, like Paul, take hold of the plans and purposes that God has for your life? If your answer to this question is yes, which I really hope it is, 
then I want to challenge you today to evaluate where you're at. Keep check. Don't let the past hold you back. Persevere and press on towards the goal and finish the race well. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for Paul's words and the things that we can learn from them. I thank you that each person in this room is handmade and custom-made by you, that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. And I just pray today, God, that we will stop and consider what it is that you want us to do for you, that we will not allow our past or things around us to distract us from all that you have planned for us. I pray that we will stop and take check and evaluate things that we need to be doing to improve. I pray that we will be able to persevere, to press on towards the goal and to finish the race well. Amen.